Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about the warm stuff that they like. Uh, The book or film or record or TV show they return to again and again because they know it'll never let them down. Stuff like that is is magical because you can't quite explain how it works. But if we chat about it for long enough, I'm sure we'll work out how the magic happens and where the goodness gets in. This time I'm talking to the actor and writer Carrie Quinlan. Carrie's probably best known for her very funny work alongside John Finnemore on John Finnemore's Souvenir programme on Radio 4, where the team just did something so uh, upside down and brain melting with the sketch show format that I haven't quite recovered yet. And Carrie has chosen the very comforting film, It's a Wonderful Life. Sit down. Sit down? What do we... If you're going to help a man, you'll want to know something about him, don't you? Well, naturally, of course well, I... keep your eyes open. See the town? Where? I, I don't see a thing. Oh, I forgot. You haven't got your wings yet. Now, look, I'll help you out. Concentrate. Begin to see something? Why, yes. This is amazing. You've chosen It's a Wonderful Life. The film from 19 of the 46. 19 of the 46. Uh, any given question, any choice I'm ever given, no matter what that choice <laughs> is, I will choose It's a Wonderful Life. So do you want milk without oat milk or almond milk? I'd like milk? It's a Wonderful Life, the film from 1946, please. <laughs> does it make things easier? Yeah, As it really does. It just, it saves so much time. Yeah, you can get crippled, I, I, I feel, by indecision. So you make one decision when you're approximately 19 and uh or or younger well, probably younger um and you stick with that decision and there you go and, so the, you're, and you're that decision chosen this yet. that decision is <laughs> it's a wonderful life the film from 1946 don't get the wrong it's a wonderful life do you know there there is a wrong it's a wonderful is life is there i think yeah they did a remake a few with, years with later with Danny Dyer or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. no they did a um an overtly christian version oh um in the mid fifties, that that was only circulated around uh, American churches. So you could order the wrong one. Yeah. Oh, imagine if that was your last meal. Because obviously, it, the thing about it's a wonderful life is that it it doesn't have to be. It didn't have to be this film. That the fact that this film is so widely known and loved is a complete by chance. Is it is a fluke? Is a yeah. fluke, which makes it more magical. So it would be quite easy for it to have fallen by the wayside, and then a nineteen fifties Christian remake being the only one we've ever Being heard the one of. that people had seen. Yeah. Oh. So when did you? Not, and I haven't seen it. It might be really good. What if it's amazing? What if it changes? What if you see the light afterwards and then become? What if you think, well, Jimmy Stewart's shit? Yeah, this guy, whoever this guy is, yeah, whoever whoever's whoever. in it, probably Bobby Ball, someone like that, someone like that, <laughs> is yeah. in it, is amazing. Tommy Steele. So I said it was to- Tommy Steele. <laughs> Christian. Oh, it's, it's it's a wonderful Christian life. Yeah, Sid Little, someone like that, who had a message of inspiration for you. So when did you first see it? Um, I don't know. Uh, oh, has I, it just been ambiently it's, it's, in your life? It is, yeah, it is woven through the choices and fabric of my existence. So I, I, I genuinely don't know. And I was um, watching it again, obviously, for this and realised that the the bit I remember from my first watching, whenever it was, is um, is Mary coming out of the library. So it's right the, right. Uh, the, the, the bit that sort of strikes deepest as a sort of memory is in the last five or ten minutes of the of the film um that must have been 
some afternoon in my childhood when it was on telly, I imagine. But you're going to tell me something like it wasn't on during our childhoods. Well, no, I think but- it was. It, it was. It was on. I, I did some. I, someone asked this question around Christmas, and someone said because Frank Capra said he didn't think of it as a Christmas film. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Film, even though it opens about as Christmas as it can possibly yeah, be. It opens with jingle with, and with a bells. picture of Santa yeah. and then yeah. snow and like a snow sleigh. Globe. So it's and, about yeah. as Christmassy. But he didn't think of it. He thought of it as a film about about humanity and, and mm. life and things like that. Um, so someone on Twitter was asking. Uh, what was its pattern of being shown? And legendarily, the, the reason we sort of said that, that it needn't have become a classic is that the only reason it was shown a lot in America was because it fell out of copyright. RKO, whoever, I think it's RKO who owned it, forgot to renew the copyright for it. And there was a 28-year copyright period. Mm. So it fell out of copyright and then it was really, really cheap or basically free public domain to show on TV. So it was used as filler, like ballast on a ship to fill... TV schedules in America, but not over here, where it was only shown a few times. And right. very often, as some people who were on Twitter were very helpful and researched, very often in June and July, it wasn't a Christmas classic until wow. I think it started to get referred to in a lot of American sitcoms and films as a Christmas classic. It's the kind oh, okay. of film that uh, George Bailey is always running through the streets on a black and white TV in the background of sort of Gremlins or something. Yes. Yeah, totally. I think my first awareness of it was in the background of other culture. as a thing that Americans had in their culture. So I don't think it was shown that often in the UK and certainly not just at Christmas, but you could have seen it. I'm wondering if you only saw the ending of it I I, I guess so. Because that happened a lot. There were films that I, before DVD and on demand and things, there are loads of films which I saw the last 20 minutes of and then 10 years later got a chance to see the the rest of. Yeah, it's like the opposite of Phoebe on Friends who's watched the beginning of loads of films and doesn't (laughs) realise that they've got really sad endings. Yeah, And in fact, refers to It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. she doesn't bother watching the end of that. She goes, it shouldn't be called this a wonderful life. It should be called it's a sucky life. And just when you think it can't suck anymore, it does. Well, that's what's strange about it as a piece of structure as well, because it ends with the closing 20, 25 minutes are the bit everyone says it's a wonderful life's about. When you, yeah. if you read it, If you read a summary of it's a wonderful life, it says a man who's had a disappointing life stands on a bridge and is rescued by an angel who shows him how his life could have been. And you went... There's two hours of film before yeah, that starts. Absolutely. And, but, but also what, what I think is really interesting about that is that you can explain the entire plot of It's a Wonderful Life to someone and not spoil the film for them. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, because that's it. That, that bit of it, the closing sort of 25 minutes of it, the, the story bit, the thing you put in a summary that say this is the story of It's a Wonderful Life is basically the original short story, which is a thing called The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern, which I didn't know. I've had to read that off a piece of paper. Oh, well then. Because wildly unfamous man. (laughs) (laughs) But also um, the bit about it falling out of copyright, though, um, uh, it... The original short story didn't fall out of copyright because <laughs> he'd he'd renewed it in 1971. Oh, right. So he got he did get money from every time it, it was shown. So there could be like you could have a dispute where you're allowed to show it all the way up to the last 25 minutes and you get the Phoebe version of it. Oh, <laughs> you're only allowed to watch the Phoebe version of it because that's the point at which the greatest gift kicks in. So you've just got him on the bridge. Yeah, that's it. But that bit of it, wow. which is basically the the the, the, sh- the hook, the shtick of it, is such a small slice of the film. But if you read the original The Greatest Gift, the, the, the story, if you dig it up, there's a PDF of it going, going around on, on, online. If you want to really annoy them for the copyright, you can just read it um, just for free because that's what the internet does. Um, if you read it, it doesn't have any reason for why George Bailey is is depressed and it doesn't have any reason for why he comes back from the depression apart from being shown that his life, it matters. So it's a very simple version. And what they've added into it, you realise, is that two hours of build-up where you get to know him and you get to know the context by which it can be saved. So the, the, the actual core of the story is only the last 25 minutes. But it doesn't work or have the resonance. It won't make you cry. Because all the, the story is about is a quite a nice little, probably advanced for its time, sort of alternate universe, like mm. Dickensian thing, basically going, what would happen if you were removed from the universe? What happened if your sliding doors thing happened and, and, and you were removed? That's more of a, it's almost a philosophical story. Whereas yeah. what they've built out of it is a film that's got character and plot and motive and and, and a, me- a deeper message, I think. And heart and yeah, and that you don't, you know, you don't, your dream doesn't have to work out. I love that about it. Have a hectic day. Oh yeah, another big red letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. That's the most amazing thing about the film, I think, is its message, which is that it might suck. <laughs> your, your, in fact, your whole life, by your standards, might suck. Yeah. Which is an amazing thing to say. It's got a reputation of being a very saccharine film. And I don't think it is for most of its length. It's, it's about a man 
gritting his teeth against disappointment. Yeah, uh, it reminded me of the, uh, going around online. There's a Tim Minchin commencement speech at a, a US college that he's he's titled um, "You Don't Have to Have a Dream," <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. Um, and I, I commend it to to you all. One, you don't have to have a dream. Americans on talent shows always talk about their dreams. Fine, if you have something you've always wanted to do, dreamed of, like in your heart, go for it. I never really had one of these dreams, and so I advocate passionate dedication to the pursuit of short-term goals. Be micro-ambitious. Put your head down and work with pride on whatever is in front of you. You never know where you might end up. Just be aware the next worthy pursuit will probably appear in your periphery which is why you should be careful of long-term dreams. If you focus too far in front of you, you won't see the shiny thing out the corner of your eye. But um, it made me think of that because it is a man who, ha- who, who has a very clearly defined dream. Yeah. He knows exactly what he wants to do and he doesn't get it. But, but that's not why he, d- he wants to kill himself. Yeah. Is the other, is the other strand of that. It's, it's a very specific sort of daily grind but then very specific things happen yes on that it's not day. about a man whose whose life is disappointing and he doesn't think he's insignificant it's not as simple as that he doesn't have a even though it's a stressful life and it's not a wonderful life it's a stressful difficult life which is all about compromise um it's not that that drives him to suicide it's structured to be the last straw yeah and he goes, so i don't even get this dear father in heaven i'm not a praying man but you're up there and you can hear me. Show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way. Oh, God. I think what's amazing about it as a as a classic Hollywood story is that at the moment where in most, as you're taught, story um, things, there's a call to adventure and you go off for your adventure... And you find something about from the wider world, and you bring back that boon, and it teaches you about yourself. Mm. He never gets. He watches the binary sunset like Luke Skywalker, and then they say, "Stay on the farm." <laughs> and, it, and as a Hollywood film, you go, well, "Hang on, you never do a film where you stay on the farm." But actually, it puts it in a in a lineage of very interesting films that talk about disappointment. Yeah, like uh, I'm a big fan of Anvil, the documentary about the heavy metal band. Oh, that's who, yes. Who didn't yeah. get to Metallica? Didn't and you make go, it. Most yeah, of totally. us live that life, right? But I think it's a very interesting film because, you, you, as you pointed out, it's a film from 1946, the film yeah. from 1946. <laughs> that is my choice. Um, and it's it, it's about the, both the people who you'd think of as sort of the authors and the architects of the film, which is Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra, had both served in the military. Yeah. They'd come back from the war. So they've had their lives put on pause to do something which is duty. And I'm wondering whether it's a film about coming back and saying, well, what was that all for? Ooh. And it only occurred to me this morning, that. I thought, yeah. hang on, if you look at the year, you go, this is a message to the whole of America saying... Well, you kind of put everything on pause to go and help out, and now we're back, and is anything better? And I wonder whether that's why it flopped, because no one wanted to think about that? Maybe, and we're recording this on the day that the UK, for (laughs) however many time, um, hopefully the final time, not the final time, Mm. um, uh, that the UK lifts lifts all its COVID restrictions. So there's an element of, what were the last two years for? George, you did it. They got one condition, huh? only one condition. What's that? And that's the best part of it. They've appointed George here as executive secretary to take his father's place. Well, Dr. Cavanaugh, let's get this thing straight. I'm leaving. I'm leaving right now. I'm going to school. This is my last chance. Uncle Billy here. He's your man. But George, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. Yeah. But the whole film is about duty. He has this dream and he wants to go around the world and see the world. Oh. And he just, he wants to travel. You know what the three most exciting sounds in the world are? Uh-huh. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, no, dinner. No, 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 no. Anchor chains, plane motors and train whistles. Peanut. And yet instead of that, he stays in the town. And it's a film about duty. I think all of us, unless we're a saint, struggle with the idea of duty, that you might have to stop everything. Yeah. Stop what you're doing that you want to do that's fun and go off and do something that you ought to do, that you and, have to and, do. And, you know, leave your imagined life behind yeah. that's a, a renewed punch in the guts that um i had watching it this time um was the moments after he said the the line about um anchors and train whistles his dreams get quashed again yes and he's on a train he's on a station platform and the train whistle goes yes which i'd not i'd not clocked before it's beautiful and it's, it's full ooh. of those setups and then payoffs and things and that's 
what how that's played out as well that's the bit where he's 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 got he's finally got the ability he's got all the itineraries in his hand he's going to finally do the journey yeah. he's going to go out and see the world he's going to leave bedford falls he's going to go and his the brother comes back with uh, a, a woman he's going to marry and a new job a woman and, he's already married oh, sorry, that's, he's, he's, a, that's a bit of a what uh, yeah it's, it's, his whole life has changed he's yeah. grabbed every opportunity jimmy stewart has been waiting for his moment and he comes back and he looks him in the eyes and he goes i cannot make you stop and come back and do your duty and bail me out. And it's all told in Jimmy Stewart's face. Yeah. And the film appears to be built out of a series of set pieces where a difficult moral decision has to be made and it's played out in Jimmy Stewart's face and you know he'll always make the right decision. Always. And it, yeah, they use his face brilliantly. And in fact, they say, it says that at the um, Clarence, the angel, at, at the very beginning when God and Joseph are showing him the film of George Bailey's life. Yeah. They, they pause on George's face and he goes, it's a good face. I like it. Yeah, I think I like George. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, but they yeah. pause it and oh. it's, it's a lovely moment as well of, of pausing and pulling you out and going, this is a film. You're watching a film. Clarence is watching. The two hours up to the moment Clarence turns up are Clarence is watching the same film you're watching. Yeah, our research. So yeah, so God can stop the film. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. It, <laughs> it's, it's the writing at the beginning of a Star Wars film. Yeah, it's, it's for two hours. You get two hours of them showing the things and they go, and, and it's planning a heist, isn't it? Showing that the guards <laughs> yeah, come yeah. in here. This is George Bates. But look at his face. It's a good face. And they rely on that face. And I think one of the powerful things that stops this film being so saccharine is Jimmy Stewart is a really good actor. He's just and 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 a really good human. Yes. So he gets to, so he can play a really good human really well. I, I I want a big one. What'd you stop it for? I want you to take a good look at that face. Who is it? George Bailey. Ah, it's a good face. I like it. I like George Bailey. Do you like that he's a bit of a shit? Because I think that's the thing I'd forgotten is that he's angry a lot the frustration mm. is on james stewart's face in this and every time it goes in for one of those things where he has to make that decision you can see the idea crossing his mind of him making the wrong decision the other decision yeah i wouldn't say he's a shit well he's occasionally he's, he's a mean, think... he's a mean drunk <laughs> <laughs> he is a mean drunk but he gets, he, he's not a saccharine it's not about a it is about a decent man but it's about a decent man who's decent because he's made a choice not because he was born decent and was never yeah tempted. he's not he's not nice yeah, that's it. He's, he's good, but he's not nice. That's a very good distinction, I think. a really important distinction. It's like the, the difference between kind and nice is yeah. also a really important distinction. Because niceness and decency is like bravery and courage. You can't have it unless you're scared. Mm. And I think the message of this is that you won't make the right decision because you're just a nice guy. You'll make the right decision because you're presented with both choices. And yeah. he gets angry and frustrated and ratty. She's hung up. I'll hang her up. What is that? Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. Will you get out and let me handle this? Hello. I mean, if you're going to do a film that deals with suicide, you've got to build convincing to a point where a man will want to kill himself. Mm, yeah. He's thwarted a lot. And I'd forgotten that. I remember it being very uplifting and very, very warm. Yeah. But actually the darkness in it right up to the end is still... Yeah, it's brutal. The you, you you sort of you see a little bit of him die at every every yes. d- every decision. By the time he thinks of wiping himself out, lots of him inside has died already. Yeah, which is really powerful for a film that's regarded as very saccharine. Yeah, and a safe holiday watch. Don't look now, but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Hey, lady, you got any money in the bank? You better hurry. George, let's not stop. Let's go. Come out there. Had you heard about it before you saw that ending? With the living hell of being a librarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, I think, is, is about the only bum note. What, the living hell of being a librarian? Yeah. She stopped plucking her eyebrows. The, I, I, and I remember watching it um, for, what, 20, about 25 years um, I've watched it every Christmas and right. quite often at the cinema. And I, yeah, I remember um, 25 years ago seeing it at the, B, at the BFI and things. And, and so it's a ritual for you. So it's a it's a proper ritual, yeah. Um, and but I remember one year watching it and doing the maths on Mary. Um, that when you know she's she never married, 
She's an old maid, George. She's 34. It's all over for her, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember watching that <laughs> and doing the maths on that when I was 34 and going, oh, really? Yeah. Really? But yeah, we did that moment where what's the worst thing that could happen? She didn't get married and she ended up as a librarian. librarian. And she, but that, yeah, the, the, the idea that without George... There was no spirit in her. I think all yeah. the other ones you can argue for. You can argue for yeah. Nick the bartender is <laughs> is an asshole if he's yeah. not employed by Martini. You can argue for all the things that have happened to Mar Bailey. Yeah, have twisted her. But yeah, Mary being all not not just being a librarian, but being this tiny little bird like timid, yeah. terrified human without George is the is the only bit that makes me go, oh come on. Yes, actually, that's that's a bit that sort of. It's a cookie cutter bit of if you had to list the the things that would be a punishment in 1946. <laughs> yeah. they, they're not finding a spouse is the, the yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, because she's very very because she's very spunky. The rest of it. I mean, she one really of the is, things that yeah. makes this so good is that obviously Jimmy Stewart is good. This is him just after Mr. Smith goes to Washington coming good as a major star. But Donna Reed, this is her first film, I think, her first first big role. Right, and, and she's she holds it. so brilliant, and she's so funny, and she's so alive. Yeah, and, and interestingly, in the um. In the original story, um, she's she's married to a, a shitty man. So that's that is entirely you know, an, the, an invention of the. They've added that in. That the she, film. I mean, it's, it's sort of. I suppose what what the fun is. They want to see her in glasses. That's <laughs> yeah. the important thing. So yeah. you have to, that that will tell you everything. She's Put her in glasses and a hat. Yeah, with, without without him, she can't see. <laughs> <laughs> It's just brilliant. I'm apparently I've, I've a really good bit of trivia that her being so spunky and cool that, that apparently she's a really good baseball player, Donna Reed. And so when she throws the ball into the windows, that's her, not a stunt person. Oh, that's brilliant. She's got moxie. She's cool. Um, right. I always love the first time you properly see a woman or the love interest in a 40s film. Right. When it goes to the soft focus, the close up. <laughs> her, her first, her transcendent first shot. She's so lovely. Yeah. It just pours out the screen. You go, oh, I like you. It's, it's exactly the same reaction as you have to, as Clarence has to, to, to Jimmy Stewart's to George, face. Yeah. I like that face. And then there's a brilliant bit, which I paused and rewound, which is when they do the lovely, the, the chastening on the, the floor of yeah, the, 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 floor the swimming pool up. that opens up. And they fall in the swimming pool and she and Jimmy Stewart dance in the swimming pool. There's 12 frames where she is so happy. Yeah. She's laughing. Yeah. And it's just They're having such a good time. It's a moment where you've captured joy on screen mm. which is a very rare thing to see like because actors are being careful there's happiness pouring out of yeah her when she when she actually lights up she's brilliant but the other great thing character wise is is that the kids are brilliant yeah all the child actors in it are fantastic so george is george um violet's violet and mary's mary in that first scene that you see them yeah, that- they're all the characters are absolutely there. They're really well drawn. Yeah, that bit which reminded me of uh, Peanuts. Yeah. Where you've got like sort <laughs> yeah. of wise old heads on young bodies and things. It's one of those real problems you have when you start a film, you tell someone's life story in order, is you have to wait a while for the actors to turn up. Yes. And actually, the people they've got cast to sit in those those, yeah. those roles, they're really, really great. I love the the two girls in the, the, the sitting by the soda stand. It's brilliant. And they're just gossiping. And it's got a lovely soap yeah. opera yeah. There's a whole life in them. Yeah, you like all the boys. Well, what's wrong with that? Yeah, and that's who they're going to be forever. That's, that's them. Boom. A new magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Is this the year you can't hear on? George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. I'm going out exploring someday. You watch. Everyone, I like the way as well that everyone who's in the small town, even if they do go away, and you see Sam and, 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 and uh, George's brother go away, when they come back, they're the same. Yeah. They've all got the same catchphrases. <laughs> it didn't matter. They go, hee-haw. If they go away, they don't come back changed yeah, that much. True. It's sort of everyone's set in stone who they are. That, that and it's they, they it's deliberately done that way that that when George does the trick with the cigar lighter and makes a wish yeah that the first time we see him as, a, as a, an adult he does it the same and you go the children are inside the they're there they're yeah. inside the adults and you won't you can dream of going away and changing but actually who you are inside is set yeah and again that there's nothing very saccharine about that that no. could be really depressing yeah and and for George ultimately is but. The core, I think the core of all of them is, is there. And with him, it's decency. And it's, there's something really magical about it. But what happened to George? George got four years older, waiting for Harry to come back and take over the building and loans. Now, there are plenty of jobs around somebody likes to travel. Look at this, here. Yeah. Venezuela oil fields. 
Wanted man with construction experience. Here's a Yukon. That's quite a dark thought because he's basically, if you look at what the story is, the character story, he's trapped by his own decency. Yeah. And feels visibly taken for granted for it because he knows that everyone else is getting something out of this. Mm. And it's it's not the story of a good man who's doing it for any reason apart from he can't help it. Yeah. He just does, keeps doing the right thing. And at the end of it, thinks, well, where did that get me? Yeah, what a waste. Yeah. Yeah, which is quite a dark and powerful thing. So, so what if you made all the right decisions and no one really said thank you? Yeah. And one, one of the drivers in this that works really well, and I love this in films, because I think it's something that gets misunderstood when you're writing, is that evil is a really bad driver for for stories, for baddies and for, for things. Because most people haven't, if you're lucky, you don't really come up against evil very much. Right. But unfairness is a brilliant driver for story. Yeah. It's what Rubble Dahl is. Most fairy stories are, but but they didn't do it. And all those with this, everything that happens to George is unfair. Yeah. And Potter, the baddie, Mr. Burns, is unfair. And it's just full of unfair people. And at the end of it, he gets treated fairly. And you go, yay! And that's yeah. the ending. There's, that's, that, the antagonist in this is just how unfair it is for this nice man to, have, to not get what he wants. Yeah, but, it, but also that way, it's only halfway undone because, yeah, they're, they're fair to George, but Potter keeps the money. Yeah. I, There's I, no comeuppance the for the baddie. Yeah. He needs to fall from a high tower going, <laughs> no, into flames. And you never get that. That's the sequel. I want that. Just Although, to, to be two minutes long. And he does get one of the best <laughs> lines in the whole film as his final line when George runs up to his window and says, Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. And, um, and Potter just goes, and Happy New Year to you in jail. <laughs> And it's one of my favourite lines in the whole thing. And that's his, that's his send-off. So not only does he not get his comeuppance, he gets one of the best lines in the film. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, it's very normal Rockwell. It, it comes from a sort of American tradition of sort of depicting small towns with little pencil sketches of people. Like, that's the taxi driver, that's the barman, that's the... Yeah. It's got that. But it's uh, got no American dream in it. No. Well, his American dream is to, to leave. Yeah. And, oh, you know, he's, he's got two American dreams. One is to leave, one is to build things. There's this post-war thing where the, the, the dream job is that you will build a modernist utopia. Right. That you will build the new America of, like, streamlined sort of post-art deco buildings and skyscrapers mm. and things. And he wants to be that. And there's the powerful bit where when he's at his lowest step, he smashes up his own model of, yeah, of his dream he city. Yeah, the bridge. So that's his dream, but he never gets to do that. No, and or, in fact, the Ameri- you know, it's, it's Potter who lives the American dream. And actually, Potterville mm. um, is absolutely the American dream. That's, that's a, a, a now a, a strip of money-making businesses. Yeah, they, they, they build Vegas. I think. It's, it's interesting because it was... So it's, it's written from the, the short story and Frank, Frank Capra worked it up, but uh, the, the major screenplay was done by Francis Goodrick and Albert Hackett, who were the married couple who wrote the Thin Man films, which it's right. got a bit in common with some of the to and fro dialogue. Yeah. You can tell a married couple have written it. There's some really good banter <laughs> yeah, and things yeah. in it. Um, and they fell out horribly with it. But while they were writing it, he was off with other people doing treatments of it as well. And, it, and one of the people he worked with was uh, Dalton Trumbo, who right. did a pass on it. 
and it stinks of anti-capitalism. It stinks of communism. <laughs> it, and so because Dalton Trumbull was involved, the FBI got really interested in, in investigating the film. And it was a, it was a, a film of interest. Yes. Because it, uh, it's a very anti-banker. Yeah. Uh, which probably plays well. You're not, you've still got the, the depression's not far in the memory. But it doesn't say the answer is to trust the banker yeah, or, or the entrepreneur or, or anything. Or the market, it, yeah. It says that what needs to be done is the community needs to pull together, which is part of the word communism. No, 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 wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer is no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. With its reputation, it's the way it's regarded, you think it'd be far more directly about dream your dream and live your dream and go off and find it. Yeah. Rather than saying, well, what happens if you can't? Yeah, absolutely. And, but, and the, you know, what happens if, if you can't is that's okay. Pro- um, probably better. Yes, to fail. Inherent in the American dream is the idea that if you make it, you deserve it. Hence, sort of low taxes for billionaires and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. If, um, you, if you work hard enough. Yeah, that's yeah. the American dream. And this is about saying someone who does everything right and gets to the point of throwing himself off a bridge. Yeah. So it says, well, hang on, they did everything right. They made all the right moral decisions. They lived a good Christian life and they were good and, and all the things you're supposed to be rewarded for, but you don't get rewarded for. And even though God is in this film and in the heavens and is judging the person, they get to a point of committing suicide. Yeah, and from, from Potter's side, it's um, work hard and make all the immoral decisions yeah. and, you'll, and then you'll succeed. Even That's, if you steal money out yeah. of an abandoned newspaper. Yeah, yeah he, he keeps the money and everything. He gets totally away with it. But I suppose maybe that's that's a very powerful message in an American film to say that while the guys who've got everything landing in their lap are getting away with it, you don't have to destroy them to live a good life. Yeah. You don't have to beat them. You beat them by surviving. By just getting on with it. It is a brutal world, but you can live a wonderful life within it. Yeah. It's got a sort of powerful message in it. It's the John Lennon thing, isn't it? It's that, that life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and a little bit of uh, the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take, whatever the <laughs> love you take is equal to the love you make. The idea being, if you give out, you can receive. You yeah. will get it back. You get it well, so it's, back one of, it's one of the many bits in the film that made, made, makes me cry is um, when he's talking to the picture of his father on the wall, or, or, or at least you can see the picture of his father on the wall, and underneath it, it says, all that you can take with you is that which you've given away. That's big. And I lost it. It's beautiful. As I often do. Yeah. Do you cry at the film a lot? I do. And, and I, it was really interesting this time. So there are sort of set pieces, set markers where I, I burst into tears. You're ready to go. And then, yeah. And, it, and certainly when we used to go and see it in sort of late 90s, my brother and some of his friends and my other siblings and I would go and we'd almost sit in order of who, of who cries <laughs> earliest. And you just watch this domino. Um, but there, there was a period where I would start crying at the um, the production company's logo at the beginning because <laughs> I knew what was coming. I didn't this time, but I thought this time um, I've seen it. I've seen it at least a hundred times, and I'm doing this for work. I've got my notebook out. I'm gonna be fine. Not a chance. I was yeah. The um, the same bit. I didn't cry at the at the production company's logo, but I did cry at my next so strong. My next Stay weak strong. point. My next weak point, which is when Mr. Gower realizes he's put poison in the in the med- in the medication. That is a good point. After he's slapped George's ears, it's not the point. I, I remember it being the point where he slaps George's bad ear, but it's it's not for me. It's the moment. It's the moment just after that when he realizes what he's done and that George has sort of saved him and saved the kid from. That's another scene where, where you're thinking about the child bits. actors completely applies because that yeah. kid, when he gets hit, it goes in like a knife. Yeah. Don't hit me, don't hit me. And, and it's really powerful. Yeah. Please and don't hit my sore ear. <laughs> again, it's unfairness. Everyone knows that George was doing a good thing. It's punished. And it's got, it hits a child-like bit inside of you where you go, that's unfair. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't be mean to that kid. And there's loads of empathy. It's a well-directed child performance. Yeah, brilliant. Although, although I did read somewhere that... Um, he actually did hit his ear and make it bleed. Really? Yeah. That's so, how you do it. So exactly, that's how you make him act. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, more acting. Don't you know that boy's been sick? He's really must over here. You lazy loafer. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're on it. B, you got the telegram and you're upset. 
You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. <laughs> Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the powder from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. The, the other bit that really gets me, the, in, a, in a doing the right thing, really, really simple bit, is um, after the run on the bank, where everyone descends on the building and loan because yeah. there's been this, you know, the depression has happened and, you know, what are we going to do? And once wants their money out and George keeps calm and is reasonable about it and says, you know, what, what do you need to, to get, keep going till Monday when the bank reopens and people start asking for $20. Yeah. And then Miss Davis, who's this, the tiny, turns out she um, went on to play uh, Grandma Walton. What? Yeah. She's Grandma Walton. She comes up to the front desk and she's this tiny, she's small and mousy. Yeah. She didn't get married. Small mousy thing. Not married. Thick eyebrows, glasses, librarian. Um, uh, she goes, well, I, I, I think I can manage with seventeen fifty, and I'm gone. Bits, absolute bits. But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you well, want now? I can get along with twenty, all right. Twenty dollars, fine. And I'll sign there the you papers. Are. You don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Well, could I have seventeen fifty? <laughs> That's your heart. Of course, you can have it. You got fifty cents. Something occurred to me watching this again. Which that performance you've just given there is the <laughs> one of the reasons. Yeah, no, I th- no one cries when I do it. One of the reasons this is a brilliant film is if you remade it as the Muppets, It's a Wonderful Life, <gasps> it would be the same. It would be exactly the same. I, I like think there's that. something. The performances are at the level of a really cracking Muppet movie. Yes. And that kind of scene where like a little a little puppet would come up and do. Everyone is playing it in a slightly theatrical way, in a slightly heightened way, even though they're all performing brilliantly. Yeah. And it's designed to punch you in the part. Yeah. And it's a style of cinema that is hard to... I don't think anyone really makes anymore. Or it's hard to make without seeming cynical now. And it is that what, what we say about... Tom Capra, Hanks could do it. I bet Tom Hanks could do it. I bet you Dexter Fletcher could direct something like this. <laughs> I trust him. Eddie the Eagle makes me cry. Um, yeah. But that thing where you're doing something so unselfconsciously, uncynically big and big-hearted. Yeah. And it's prepared to play with big performances like a little woman coming up and saying, I think I could do with 1750. And you go, oh, oh I've gone. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that made me cry watching it this time around. I'd yeah. forgotten how. Particularly because there's a lovely beat beforehand where they where you see someone say, I want all my money out. Yeah. And you go, actually, yes, that's what I'd want. If that I was makes frightened. sense. Yeah. If I was frightened, that's what I'd want. And then someone says, I'm going to be bigger than that. And again, I suppose this is the post-war thing. I watched it with a little sense of pandemic about one of the things that was really powerful at the beginning of the pandemic was everyone doing things that were hard, that weren't selfish, yeah. for communal good. Yeah, remember and that. But brief moment of excitement, you went, oh, it's like being It's a Wonderful Life. We're all going to bang our pans <laughs> and we're all going to, we're not going to be selfish and demand stuff. And then slowly that sort of seemed to sort of fade. But I think I was reminded of that by watching the run on the bank scene. Yeah. That all it takes for someone to say, I'd like my fair share and no more. Yeah. Because... It might be harder for me to get by Here's without two dollars fifty, but yeah. I'll, oh. I'll give it up. Yeah, that's a scene. That's I, and that's Grandma Walton right there. <laughs> She's carrying all our hope for, for communal decency. Now we we can get through this thing, all right. We we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got doctor bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have. How much do you need? Hey. I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tie us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? A uh, small piece of trivia Ooh. that I uh, noticed in my research. Young George yes. went on um, to go into production, right. and he was the executive in charge of production on Demolition Man. That... See, yeah. and again, without without it's a one without uh, playing George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. How do you get, how do you get there? You don't. <laughs> imagine, you don't imagine, get there. Imagine a world if Clarence could show me a world without Demolition Man. Oh, what would, what would you what would you do? Oh, that no, that you 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 want a world with Demolition Man in it? Yeah, exactly. I love Demolition Man. What's what the a point? movie? Two mortal enemies just dropped in to say hi from another time. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Oh hell. Unleashed on a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. I mean, it's basically it's a wonderful life. <laughs> Wait, you have three shells instead of toilet paper. Isn't that isn't that what that is? I think. Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Demolition Man. If you if you remove people from the timeline. 
the consequences are unthinkable. Exactly. You leave Nigel Hawthorne in charge. Just look and see what you did. One of the things that, one of the echoes that this, this film leaves behind for kids of the 80s is probably Back to the Future and things like that, with that small town, with the effect you can have on it. Absolutely, yeah. It's a time yeah, travel yeah. movie. It's a, it's a movie where there's an alternate reality in things. And I think one of the things that appealed to me when I first saw it, it was an old-fashioned movie, because its values have then soaked into American culture that then came out through Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and things, a lot of the films I grew right. up with, that, you, that tiny actions have huge consequences and you have to do the decent thing and things. That definitely informed all that sort of small town. Yeah, and the sort of not, not wanting to be who you are. The, yeah. all, all of the body swap comedies, big and, and vice a, versa, and all of those are about not, being, not wanting to be who you, who you are and learning that actually that's okay. Yeah, there's no place like home is the, is the message here. This is a mm. Wizard of Oz thing. And I suppose that's, that's probably why, as a movie, it's comforting. Because I suppose uh, you don't have to get to a point where you're on a bridge. But most of us... Someone said that about depression. Depression is glimpsing on the horizon a bright life that should be yours. Right. And then getting angry and frustrated that you can't reach it. That right. you were promised something mm. and you didn't get it. And this is a film about the essence of depression, which is that he goes, I should have been on that train. I should have done that. Yeah. And... and and Sam will come back from New York and his brother comes back and he's got the wife. And all that stuff is just him seeing just over the horizon the, the bright life that should be his. Yeah. Which is a very human thing of going, what happens if you don't get it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was always fascinated by reading, you, you read a lot of memoirs by people and they tend to be by famous people and it gives you the wrong idea because it says, if you're a fish porter in Billingsgate Fish Market, one day you'll become Michael Caine because that's the <laughs> yeah. story. Yeah. Because the person who started a fish porter didn't write a book and you didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what's what the, the awful thing? about Paul? Because if you, if you were a fruit porter in Covent Garden Market, you could become Bob Hoskins. Yeah, there's, there's, there's all these things where you're told this sort of rags to riches story and you're told weirdly because of how meritocracy works that if you failed to make the right decisions that led you from being a fish porter to Michael Caine, that somehow you've let you're everyone lesser. down yeah. and you've let yourself down. And why are you doing this? And I think what this, this film is about is about saying that's a really common feeling. Mm. What did I do wrong? Why didn't I get it? Yeah, what, and pin, pinpointing those choices. It's really weird. What's a great bit of screenwriting, I think, and what's a great bit of... Because like, it yearns and it aches at you as you go, he's making the right choice, and I wish he didn't make it, because I feel for him, and I know he's going to be frustrated now. That every time you watch it so play across James Stewart's face, and you go, he's going to do the decent thing, mm. and half of you wants him to not do that and get on the train. Right. Even though watching the film where James Stewart gets on a train and goes on a gap here would bore the arse off you. The drama, the dramatic tension is going, he's got to stay at home. He's got to do the opposite of what someone, a hero of a film does. He's got to not be the hero of his own story. Yeah. They sell the story really well, but you're constantly at a state of going, I wish he didn't do the decent thing because then yeah. he'd be happy. Yeah. But you're watching, well, most of us do this yeah, in some way or another. Although another I think deep down you also know that he probably wouldn't be happy. If he if he made yeah. the other choice, I've I've always felt for him. Yeah, but I've never thought make the other choice. Make the other choice. Maybe it's because of what happens when the people come back. Because you're because you're looking mm. at it all through his eyes, and you know where he's going to end up. Structurally, you know he's going to end up in despair. So you're really feeling for him. You're very empathetic. Yeah. And everyone who comes back who's been to New York is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're thinking is lovely James Stewart, who, who's got that lovely George Bailey face. I like George Bailey. If he went away, he'd come back and he'd go, he hot and you'd go, oh, you prick. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, everyone who leaves, uh, leaves Bedford Falls comes back infected with prick virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I suppose you keep being shown... To the point where even Violet <laughs> yeah. doesn't, what, doesn't end up leaving Bedford Falls. Yeah. Yes, but George. George... For if, on account of his ear, George fought the Battle of Bedford Falls. Hold on, hold on, hold on now. Don't you know there's a war on? When you first watched it when you were 19, what did you get out of it? Because I suppose then, when you're a teenager, you're thinking about going away and, and you're, you're exactly yeah. at the George Bailey point. Yeah, I suppose I, I, suppose I was. I think, I think well, I, it, it, sort of, it sort of depends which moment, which George Bailey moment you're at, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and I think that idea of going off and seeing the world... Was was there, but I um, I absolutely embraced the small town America thing. I don't because I don't think I, do, I don't feel like I made the big bold choices. I'm no. certainly riddled with regret. I think I think it got into my bones that you doing the small things matters, and that you can make big differences 
with really ordinary stuff even though that's what I wanted to do and still do. Because also, I, at the same sort of time, I was watching Quantum Leap, mm. which is absolutely... Yeah, you, totally. You, you, you touch other people's lives. And yes. so I think, I think that's probably what... And you're a big Doctor Who fan, again, which is about moving through yeah. time, making hopefully the good changes rather than the, the bad yeah. changes. Yeah, just doing, doing a bit, nudging. Or, or just being de- trying to be decent. Well, you um, said you had you had an epiphany recently where you realised you were quite kind, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I loved because it was a bit it was a bit like I was saying it to uh, a friend who sort of come out as gay, and you go, but we all know. Everyone knows Carrie's quite kind. Yeah, that's what. In fact, that's what your wife said to me. It's like I <laughs> went, oh, for God's sake, it's not the gay thing all over again. Well, you just didn't know. <laughs> yeah. um, Coming so, out as kind. Yeah. But I, I think I think it's a, it's a really essential thing. I think that this the film does it strokes that bit of you that might think in our culture that being kind and small is something that prats do, weak people. Yeah, do. it's weak. And it's it's a film that says there is strength in kindness. Yeah, and that each man's life touches so many other lives, it leaves an yeah. awful big hole. If yeah, he's not there. And and the final message, which is that you are rich if you have friends, and they end singing "Old Lang Syne," a song about. Looking back at the friends you've made and, yeah. and, and, and making sure you've, you've held on to them. They're really small achievements. And also, the other thing about having friends, unless you're an absolute psychopath, everyone can do that. It, it, you don't need to go out there and build a whole city and, and you don't need to be remembered and have statues of yourself put up. He doesn't mm. need to come back and he found something amazing and brought it home. He can just have made good friends who relied on him. And that's a really achievable thing to do. Yeah. Don't be an arsehole. Yeah. And Which I think is 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 the the only reasonable motto for life. But I suppose it's a really powerful message to be told at that age. And I suppose because it's about someone's life, it can then grow up with you. Yeah, and so and 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 so you find that you know over time you start crying earlier and earlier in the film mm. until it's the production company's logo that gets you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing what you got to realise as well is that is that Frank Capra lost half a million dollars on this and it bankrupted his company. So that's a very sad logo. So it is. That's, the, that's the last Liberty Films logo you'll yeah. ever see. But but he did... Um, I, actually, it wasn't on that. It was on a, a You Can't Take It With You. He started working with the crow. You know, there's a crow in the office and it's wonderful. Yeah. Like, they have like a crow and a squirrel and stuff. The crow was in every Frank Capra film. What? From... Um, yeah, from You Can't Take It With You onwards and had a really, really, like, hugely successful movie career. This Jimmy is... the Crow. Yeah. And apparently when, if, whenever Frank Capra shouted Jimmy, he and Stuart both turned round. Wow. Yeah. That's brilliant. Isn't it good? So, again, make friends, stay loyal to them, even if they're a crow, yeah. work with them. Absolutely. A man is, is judged by the crow he keeps. Yeah. I've no heard... man is a failure who has crows. <laughs> What I found powerful watching it now, not being 19 and being older and having been through midlife crises and all the sort of things you, you had, people now have several of in a life because you don't just have one job. <laughs> you will always hit crises. There are 25-year-old crises, 35-year-old crises. You have crises all the time when you've made a decision and you, am I sticking with it? Am I going to change it? Was realising that Frank Capra, he was asked once in an interview, he said, is it autobiographical? And he said, what the hell do you think? And it was about him thinking he'd failed. Right. He'd, he'd won all these Oscars. He's a very, very fated film director. And he just won the Medal of Honour, I think, for, for war stuff. He's about, the, right. the two of them are about as heroic as they can be. <laughs> and they thought, and certainly Capra thought of himself as a failure. And it's about that thing that everybody thinks you're succeeding and everybody treats you as a success. Mm. But you're doing very well. But you can still feel despair. And again, it's the, the trophies and the, the outside signs of success. People might say, but you, people say that about, about depression and anxiety and things. They go, but surely the, the reality of the world says that you have a beautiful house and a lovely family and you're yeah. a nice job. How can you be sad? And the answer is you can always be sad. Yeah. Because there's always another version of your life, again, just over the horizon, that you think you should be having. And it's a film about that. And it's really weird that it was written... And directed from the heart by someone who thought they'd failed. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's... Yeah, I, it, I read that and it absolutely chilled me. And I thought, oh, that's why this is still powerful, I think. It's about... Yeah, because it, it means it. No one no one in Bedford Falls thinks of him as a failure. Yeah, except, except him. him. And I think that's a really common feeling. And that's a nice thing to... If you're talking about why, why does a film give you comfort? Why does a thing give you comfort? That's a very human thing to go, oh, someone else has felt this. 
Yeah. Because I think we all do. It's yeah. It's that it's that moment of um, catharsis, isn't it? Yeah. You see it represented on screen. You go, this is a film. I think it, I think you couldn't make you couldn't make this film cynically. It has to come from yeah. somewhere. There's something good about it that says, even though it's a pantomime, it's bigger than life. It's got, <laughs> it's got those big lines, those big characters in it. It's real because someone in it, someone who made it, lived this. Yeah. Um. And. And and that's therefore something that you can take away from the film. That actually, you know, yeah, you have this moment of catharsis of like, I'm not the only person who feels like this. But you've also got the, I have friends. I've got, I've, I've, I've touched some other lives. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Do you look back and think you should have made different decisions? All the time. Yes. This podcast was quite a good idea. It's an actual Do you problem. regret this? Are you I, regretting this I'm now? I'm thinking of all the other podcasts <laughs> I could have been doing. Um, but, you know, so you, you live in a constant state of thinking you should have turned left rather than turned right. Yeah. And in fact, I've just seen, I came past a, uh, a well-known bookshop on the way here and I popped in and there is a book um, about regret that's just come out that um, I'm going to read because I think that would be Did you not buy it? You must feel terrible about that. <laughs> no, I'm going to get it from the library, actually. Um, from a very timid, tiny woman with glasses. glasses. And big eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're for. You see, see, again, if those people weren't there, we'd miss them. But I, <laughs> regret's a really powerful and toxic emotion because it's that thing of going, you, you don't well, get a chance to... Not to according live. to this book, apparently. Is it healthy? You apparently it's, more, it's more actually quite healthy because it... it, it it can help reroute you and that the the idea of of having no regrets is bullshit because a you're going to yeah. and 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 b they can they can help you to some degree i mean obviously there's there's, an, there's a point where it becomes unhealthy but um i think people who live without any regrets are psychopaths so that's fine yeah uh, but i think most of us i think again one of the reasons this is a great film and a great comfort is that the things it feels are quite human and quite common and it's nice to have them articulated yeah. and the reason it's a popular film is that you realise that oh everyone feels this way. Yeah, absolutely. everyone at some yeah. point goes why? Why did I make those decisions? And what the final message is that every missed opportunity he didn't grab created a timeline where other people benefited. Yeah. So basically, those negative choices were actually positive choices to help out. Yeah. To true. sacrifice and to and, and to in the yeah it. and in the multiverse there's the there's the George Bailey who fell off a boat in his gap year oh, and he's drowned. He's so boring. He's got a sharp tooth necklace. <laughs> he's got stories about going to Goa where he shat himself. He's fucking everybody. He's like like an Australian tourist. It's boring. Man. Yeah, I want to do the, the other one. But yeah, regret is is a is a really people don't talk about it as a as a, a thing, particularly because people only see the version of you that you are. Yeah. And they tend to forget that there's a version of you in your head that was someone else that was a lion tamer or whatever. Yeah. Did you think you were going to do something else with your life? Um, no, I thought I was going to do this with my life, but I thought I was going to do it better. <laughs> That's you. Yeah. I thought it'd be more successful. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I'd probably still be doing this, but I'd be making a living at it. Mm. I think that's that's probably. I the, think the that's key the thing. world's regret. Is they should have paid you more. The world will look back and say they should have been better recompensed. There we go. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't have made her do other jobs on the side. One of the things that you get when you watch Who Do You Think You Are is that it's full of people who, in the past, strived to be memorable, mm. and now people are going, "I don't know who that person is, and I can't find them anywhere." <laughs> and I find that enormously sort of sobering to go. All oh, right, two generations after, unless you're someone's gran. Yeah. You will be forgotten. Right. So the only people, unless you are Mozart or Sir Christopher Wren and you build or make something that's remembered past your lifespan, most of us, yeah. three generations down the line, we're and, just DNA. And, prob- <laughs> and probably if we looked back at who the subjects of Who Do You Think You Are were in the first series, oh, there'd be two or three we'd go, who? who? Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> that is a nice thing. Because if they got the money back off Potter, that would imply the money was important. Yeah. That Potter's measure of success, the points he's gathering, yeah, were significant. But he ends up how many thousands up on the deal? Yeah. And it doesn't matter. No one gives a shit. Yeah. It's and not. So- it's. It's not about the getting the six thousand dollars back from Potter. It's about the six thousand people in the yeah. in the community giving him a dollar. Because because they care. Because life is 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 gamified so much. There's a score. Mm. which is money or 
friends or likes or however you want to play it now yeah. followers <laughs> we, we have these sort of matters of sort of saying are you scoring high and there's a nice bit in this which is all about a bank it's all about money mm. and at the end of it it says well they ended up 6,000 down yeah. and they still didn't lose the other thing that one thing I hadn't ever noticed before in that final scene <laughs> is so Bert the cop has picked Harry up from from the airport yeah, um, and brought him in. Um, but he, but Bert's got an accordion strapped to his chest. He walks in with an accordion strapped to his chest, like like he knows there's going to be a party, and if there's going to be a party, there's going to be an accordion. He's ready. And I'd only I only noticed that because I've recently started learning the accordion. You're going to be Bert. You're going to turn up to every event so. just in case with an yeah. accordion. Hey, who wants some klezmer music? It's full of people. As a film, as in like the, yeah. the, the, the the town works, you can see the influence this has on big people, things like The Simpsons and stuff like that. The idea of saying that the whole town is full of busy characters. Of characters, yeah. Uh, and they're all catchphrasy and they're all bigger than life and you follow them through and that busyness, because it's setting up a thing that at the end of it, you want them all to, to come in and be there. Yeah. It's essential that you were following one person. But at the end, those peripheral characters become... Everyone's there. Yeah, yeah, you want that final scene where... I remember doing Paddington 2, we wanted to end with the, the scene where everyone gives Paddington a present and being made to watch this. So how do you get everyone to come in at the end? And the answer is, it's really hard to have a film where you're following one character, where you've established loads and loads and loads of peripheral characters who at the end you'll feel happy to see. Right. And what you find when you're writing something like that is you have to cut their scenes all the time because they're not helping the story. So it's, I think it's really cleverly done that yeah. by the end of it, when Bert the Cop turns over, oh, it's Bert the Cop, good. Because yeah. you've only had two hours to do this. So basically anyone who's peripheral, it's a really good film for, there are, there are constantly choruses. There's the guy on the, the porch who goes, just kiss the girl. And there's, a, yes. there's always someone watching him who then at the end of it, when they all come in, you go, oh, this town was there. And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes. Why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her to death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her to death? You want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Yeah. And it's a really good cinematic sleight of hand to have a busy screen that doesn't feel like it's holding the story up. And gives so many people a great line. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has their... They're solo. It's very funny. Pretty much. It's I mean, really funny. It's still funny. Yeah. The scene after the... Obviously, the, there's the brilliant... Uh, the the chastening on the, the opening swimming pool. But the scene where he's in the football gear and she's in the robe afterwards and she ends up naked in the hedge. Yeah. Is just full of good antic... Yeah. 40s business without ever seeming cringy or creepy. Okay, I give up. Where are you? Over here. In the hydrangea bushes. <laughs> there you are. Catch. Wait a minute. What am I doing? This is a very interesting situation. Please give me my robe. Hmm. Man doesn't get in a situation like this every day. I'd like to have my robe. Not in Bedford Falls, anyway. Ouch! Oh! Gesundheit. And really nice little tiny gags. The, um, Dorothy Parker apparently did a pass. So you, and you get really tiny throwaway things like um, George um, says to Violet, he's going to go down the light. He's going to go to the library and. Read some books about, you know, read about going away and stuff. And she says to him, don't, wouldn't you, don't you want to go and go away and see those places instead of just read about them? And he says, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's that. and when, and when he's, in a, he's in a really grumpy mood after Harry's wedding and walks down to see Mary for no, no real reason, he thinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's still in a really bad mood and he goes in and he sits, sits down and he says, oh, it still smells of pine needles in here. And she, and she says, thank you. Yes. And it's just really lovely little... Un- that scene, un- that whole scene is brilliant it's when she's great. prepped everything. Yeah. I think one of the things that drives this as well that stops it being a crappy old movie is that their romance is absolutely scorchingly well written. Yeah. And that's the there's lots of hands on that, so you can't really. It's annoying that you can't tell who wrote it, mm. but you get the feeling that the people who did who who did write this knew what they were doing with that. The way they fall together, the meet cutes and things, the setups, the romance is completely convincing. I totally buy them liking each other. I don't yeah. feel he doesn't deserve. I don't feel she doesn't deserve him. And when they're forced to go that brilliant thing where they're on the phone, mm. the moment they're going to kiss, and you notice that without even being aware of it, their faces have been pushed closer and closer together in the frame until you are just aching for them to fall onto each other. Yeah. 
it's so well done. Everything about it. And yeah, him turning from being an arsehole at her house when she's prepped it all. Yeah. And they it, and they have to share the phone because yeah. her, her mother's on the extension. Yeah. I am not. <laughs> yeah. It's all the Just, character detail. Yeah. It's played so well. It's, it's as a piece of staging. The hardest thing to do is to sell the romance, I think. Yeah. But it's perfect. And they, they do it They are absolutely you know, made for each other. Yeah. The other the other Mary thing that's worth noting is is she's the one who solves the run on the bank. Yeah. She's the one who waves their honeymoon cash. How much do you need? So they deserve each other. They both they yeah, both do decent perfect things. perfect for each other. Yeah. And yeah, and you're right. And at the end, the version of her that, that is in the alternate universe has been stripped of all agency. Yeah. By the, the, by the, the draining effect of books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and spectacles. Yeah. They're very heavy glasses. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's lovely about this film is it's got its values are really good and the essential thing about saying do i matter if i was wiped out of existence if i didn't exist would it make any difference and the thing about this film is that the film itself is that the film failed and disappeared yeah and vanished true. and the film itself is an underdog and the film he makes this film completely from the heart they make the film completely from the heart and want it to go and it flops completely and no one likes it and then yeah, and so it looks like a complete waste of time. Yeah, yeah. And it was going okay. Well, you made this thing, and no one cared, and so it wasn't important. And it must be heartbreaking to put yeah. the heart side to a film, and it fails. And then slowly, people gather. Yeah. And say, no, I like it. No, I like it. No, I like it. And eventually, the film becomes itself the thing the film. The thing about. it is. Yeah, I'd never thought of that. That's amazing. It's an underdog. Can you imagine your life without this film in it? Yeah, no, I, I, I'd be someone different. Really? Yeah. You make different decisions? I, I don't know if I make different decisions. Or don't, I wouldn't make different big decisions. I might make different small decisions. I wouldn't be as kind. <laughs> You're hoping that everyone's going to pull together at some point and bail you out of a hole yeah. that you've got into Absolutely. because you trusted your idiot uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100%. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. But the film, the film itself sort of needn't have survived it could have been and you can't imagine our culture without it yeah and you and it's hard to imagine it flopping yeah how mm. what was wrong with people but i suppose it's a film about failure and one of the great things about failure is that everyone especially god because of the internet everyone's a critic everyone goes oh is it, how could they have made this terrible film very lazy i love lazy as a word you go do you know everyone works their ass off on everything <laughs> even the shit stuff <laughs> and the only reason you like the good stuff is by complete chance they mm. made a couple of editing decisions that made that thing work and the film itself could have failed. Yeah. This piece of culture that you love could have failed at any point. And this is a lovely film because it should have failed. And then just by bad paperwork. Yeah. It ends up being ballast and then people start to value that ballast and see something good in it. And it and it's everywhere. Yeah, it and wasn't it wasn't meant to win. It's it's not even on telly every Christmas. It's on at the cinema every Christmas. That's incredible, isn't it? People clear the schedules. Yeah. Because they know that people want to come out and it becomes a ritual. Christmas is all about ritual. Christmas is making sure that this one is the same as last one. Yeah. And for this to become part of that. And so the BFI and the Prince Charles and countless other places. Will clear schedules for it. Yeah. Weirdly, when I looked it up, I was trying to find some sort of interviews and things like that. And if you type in It's a Wonderful Life into Google or your search engine, you have to go down so far to find any information about it because it's mainly listings. Because it's on. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest hits are all where it's showing. It's a 1946 film that only page three of the Google hits is yeah. reviews of it. There was, a, there was a bit of a trend in the early 2000s of people slagging it off, yeah, of critics any... slagging it off, which I think is, is, only goes to show that the early 2000s really were a waste of space. Yeah, Roger Ebert said something about it uh, just at, at the end of the, last, the end of the last century. Uh, before, before he died. He didn't say it after he died because that would be madness. They said some movies, even good ones, should only be seen once. When we know how they turn out, they've surrendered their mystery and appeal. And other movies can be viewed an indefinite number of times. Like great music, they improve with familiarity. And It's a Wonderful Life falls into the second category. I think yeah, absolutely. You've proven it because you're 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 seeing this thing again and again and again and seeing more stuff in it. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly like I was saying that you can um, explain the plot from start to finish, the whole thing in detail, <laughs> and still, it's still worth watching. You and you cannot you cannot spoil it by telling someone every detail of the plot. If you're listening to this, or if it, we should we should probably say at the beginning. Yeah. If you're thinking maybe of not listening to this podcast because you haven't seen it yet. Don't worry. <laughs> it will spoil it, it, nothing. It, can, it is an unspoilable film. 
thank you very much for talking about It's a Wonderful Life. Well, thank you for letting me um, choose It's a Wonderful Life, the film from 1946. What a big choice that was for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.